We are continuing our study of the book of Proverbs, which is one of the books in the part of the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Old Testament. And as we've seen, Proverbs is an incredibly uh, practical book. It provides ancient wisdom to guide us through our everyday living. And so as we've worked through this book, studying thematically, topic by topic, we're learning and hopefully also applying the wisdom offered in these pages, which promises to improve our quality and productivity of life, which will make us more effective and useful servants to our king. That's really the goal in all of this and why we're going through this study of the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to be considering the theme of diligence versus laziness. And if you've been reading through Proverbs each month, uh, as I've encouraged you to on your own, you've likely noticed how many verses there are in the book of Proverbs addressing the subject of laziness. It's a constant theme throughout the book of Proverbs, the contrast between hardworking people and lazy people and the difference in outcomes that they both receive. I have to be honest and tell you, this would be a very easy topic for me to skip. I don't really want to talk about it because it's very personal, uh, it's very uncomfortable. But I'm not going to pull any punches today. I think we need this. And in many ways, this topic has been one that's convicted me even some months ago as I was studying uh, for the book of Proverbs, preparing these sermons, and I've tried to make some changes in my own life as a result of that study, and so I assume it will be likewise convicting and challenging for some of you here as well. But again, I think we need this. Uh, We'll talk more at the end of the sermon why we really need to feel this rebuke that Proverbs offers to many of us in this area of laziness. To begin with, I want to start by just radically reshaping our view of work, at least for many of us. As with so many of these themes of wisdom, It all goes back to the early chapters of the book of Genesis. And so back to Genesis chapter 2, we looked at this at length last week. Uh, God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the Garden of Eden, which was the ideal situation for human flourishing. Uh, There was no sin in the world. Life was perfect. This is the ideal as God created it. And this life in Eden included work. Genesis 2 verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So Adam had a job in Eden. God told him, work the ground, provide for yourself food. In other words, he was a farmer. And if you know anything about farming, it's hard work. So life in paradise included work. Eden, this ideal setting for human flourishing, wasn't a lifelong vacation. And so that's the first point that we need to get straight in our minds, that the Bible doesn't present work as an unfortunate necessity, as if it's a result of the fall of man. Rather, Scripture presents work as a positive good. It's a feature, not a bug. It's good for us to be working and producing. It's good for us to be accomplishing things, to be responsible for providing for ourselves. These activities are good for our mental and physical health. If you view work as a necessary evil, you will do as little as possible, and then you'll get out of work, the workforce, as early as you can so you can relax for the last few decades of your life. This is much of the American mindset of work. Do as little as you can to get by, get out as quickly as you can. But when you adopt a biblical view of work, you realize it's actually good for you to be working. It's part of what God designed humans to do. If you think that the ideal is for life to be a vacation, you're saying that God messed up in Eden, that it wasn't a very good world as he created it. You're disagreeing with God's view of work and productivity. So that's the first thing to get straight, that work is a good thing. It was a part of the good, the very good world that God created. Now, on on to the book of Proverbs then. Proverbs has a lot to say on this subject, and a lot of it is quite hard-hitting. The book of Proverbs, all throughout, uses a particular image to describe laziness, and this is the image of a sloth. Uh, Sloths are the slowest mammals on earth. Sloths have the slowest digestion of any animal on earth. It takes them up to two weeks to process a meal. 
And so in order for them to survive, they would either need to constantly be eating or expend very low energy. And so this is why they move so slowly. They use about 90% less energy than the average mammal. And this slowness is actually a part of how the species of sloths has survived. They are so slow that they often avoid detection from predators like jaguars who use motion to detect their prey. And so it's an apt illustration that Proverbs uses for laziness. Another term we're going to see a lot is sluggard, which refers to one with no discipline or motivation. So you've got the slothful person or the sluggard. Uh, That's what we're going to be considering as far as the laziness side of Proverbs. Contrasted to that is the diligent. The diligent is the one who is industrious and hardworking. And we'll get to the image that Proverbs gives us there uh, of an ant in a few minutes. Now, we're going to walk through both categories of people. Uh, Proverbs kind of paints a portrait for us. What does it look like when someone lives a sluggish or slothful, lazy life? Or what does it look like when someone lives a diligent life? And so we're going to look at the characteristics that the book of Proverbs presents for both sides. And as we go through this, I would encourage you, draw a circle around yourself, focus on yourself right now. Look for the characteristics in your own life. Uh, First, we're going to consider the slothful person. These are in no apparent order. Here are just, uh, I think I have 11 characteristics of slothful people. Number one, slothful people are unreliable. Proverbs 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. So slothful, sluggish, lazy people are unreliable. They're not dependable. You give them a task, and then you have to follow up over and over to make sure that it actually gets done. Here's another proverb making the same point, chapter 25, verse 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Such a vivid image there of an unreliable person. It's like a bad tooth. It's like a foot that slips. You have to take a step. You go to take that step with all the confidence. You shift your weight onto your foot, and then it fails to stay in place, and so you fall. You go to take a bite out of something, and you've got a problem with your tooth that you didn't realize. That's really going to hurt. In other words, this is an annoyance that people deal with when they have to trust in an unreliable person. And so slothful people, number one, are unreliable, or uh, you could say they aren't dependable. Number two, slothful people often oversleep. You might think, well, that's a weird one. Uh, But actually, this is mentioned all throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, we all oversleep on occasion. Uh, It happens. I remember once in college, I overslept, uh, missed two of my classes that day, and ended up having three points deducted from my final grade for each class because it was an unexcused absence. I was very mad with myself. Uh, but here, we're not talking about something that happens, you know, once or twice or every few years or something. We're talking about a regular habit of sleeping in. Proverbs 6, verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Poverty will come upon him because he's sleeping instead of working. He's taking it easy while others are getting up early, going to work for the day. And so while it seems like he's got a great life, he's relaxing, he's enjoying his time while others are having to get up and work, Proverbs says his punishment is coming. And his punishment is poverty and want. So slothful people, number two, often oversleep. Number three, slothful people often fail to finish what they start. Slothful people often fail to finish what they start. Proverbs 12, verse 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent will get precious wealth. So here the hyperbolic illustration is of a man who hunts and he actually gets something but then he doesn't bother to cook it. He's so lazy, he won't finish the task. Slothful people's lives are filled with unfinished projects, jobs that are half done. 
And so slothful people often fail to finish what they start. Number four, slothful people are dissatisfied with their financial situation, but they don't take action to change it. Uh, several Proverbs talk about this issue. Proverbs 13, verse 4, for example. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So slothful people often complain about not having their needs met. They're craving, so they have desires, and yet they don't do anything in order to improve their financial situation. They crave, they live in poor conditions, and often they're upset with the one whose needs are being richly supplied, even though it's because of their diligent work. Uh, Here's another passage with the same idea, Proverbs 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Uh, You know those people who complain about not having enough money, but they don't want to get a full-time job. That is the sluggard. They constantly are unhappy with their situation, but they aren't willing to put in the work required to improve their situation. They crave all day long. They're desiring, and they never have enough to meet their needs. And you notice the reason in verse 25. It's because their hands refuse to labor. Whereas the righteous, the contrast there again is clear. The righteous are those who work hard, and they have enough for themselves. Not only that, but also enough to give generously. They're able to give and not hold back because of their diligent work. And so slothful people, we saw, number one, they're unreliable. Number two, they often oversleep. Number three, they fail to finish what they start. Number four, they're dissatisfied with their financial situation, but they don't take any action to change it. And then number five, slothful people talk about doing things, but don't get things done. Proverbs 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Now here's the NET study Bible note on this verse. It says, A person given to idle talk rather than industrious work will have needs that go unmet. In other words, this proverb is contrasting hard work with loquaciousness. There's a good word for you. Uh, to Google if that's unfamiliar for you. Uh, Number six, slothful people are exhausted by very little work. And here we get into some more of this uh, sort of hyperbole. Uh, Slothful people are exhausted by very little work. Proverbs 19, verse 24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Uh, Here's a similar proverb that makes the point even more clearly. The sluggard, this is chapter 26, verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Now, obviously, that's hyperbole to make the point. Can you imagine someone eating and being like, oh, and it's so hard to get their hand back to their mouth. Uh, But the point is, slothful people are exhausted easily. They've not learned to push themselves, to do hard things. As soon as they're met with resistance and some task becomes difficult, they just quit. And so slothful people become exhausted with very little work. Number seven, slothful people procrastinate. Excuse me, one moment. Slothful people procrastinate. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So here's someone who doesn't do the work he's supposed to do, And so when he comes seeking now to sort of play catch up, there's nothing there. Slothful people don't work when it's time to work. They put things off as long as they can, and they suffer for it. I told you, Proverbs doesn't doesn't pull any punches when it comes to laziness. This is hard-hitting stuff. Number eight, uh, slothful people make excuses. Very good at making excuses. Chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Apparently, this was a common excuse because it's repeated again in chapter 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
So slothful people come up with absurd excuses to not just go work. Uh, these are people who, you know, call off work all the time just because there's an inch of snow or whatever dumb excuse uh, there might be, anything to get them out of actually working. And the ultimate, ultimately, the real issue is right there in verse 14. All of those excuses, again, they're just excuses. The real reason is they want to stay in bed instead of going to work. Number nine, slothful people don't maintain their properties and possessions well. Here's a point that I think we often miss. Slothful people, they're not just lazy and not wanting to get a job and go to work every day, but they're also lazy in their personal lives. Their homes are often disheveled and poorly maintained. Uh, Chapter 24, verses 30 and following says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and wants like an armed man. Very similar to what we read earlier. And so again, the point is, even when they're at home, you would think a slothful, sluggard person doesn't have a job. They're sitting at home all day. Of course, their home should be in pristine shape. And yet, That laziness is a character issue that affects even their personal life, and so their homes are often kind of falling apart and disheveled. Number 10, slothful people are often uncorrectable. They are experts at rationalizing and justifying their laziness, and they won't listen to others who try to help them and encourage them to work because they think themselves to be quite wise. Proverbs 26, verse 16 The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Notice the key words there, in his own eyes. Sluggards are the epitome of the fool in Proverbs. Because despite whatever knowledge they may have in their heads, they don't do anything with it. They waste their lives away, doing nothing all day. Yet despite their folly... They lack self-awareness to such an extent that they've convinced themselves that they are wise, far wiser than other people. And this makes them often uncorrectable. Number 11, slothful people will suffer. And this is a, a consistent point throughout Proverbs. We've seen it even hinted at in all the verses we've already looked at. But in chapter 19, verse 15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. The end result of slothfulness and idleness is suffering. Suffering that is brought about by your own inactivity. Uh, one quick word here at this point, uh, just, and I feel the need throughout the sermon on a few occasions to sort of qualify what I'm saying. So here's one of those qualifications. Don't think that because you take some time to do nothing, to relax, that you're necessarily slothful. That's not the case. Rest is needed. Relaxation is important in its place. God is the one, after all, who came up with the concept of a Sabbath. Instead of working every single day of the week, God says, take one day off. Take one day to relax, to rest, to sort of rejuvenate after six days of working. But again, that's the whole point. That's one day a week after working six days. It's not working two days and then Sabbathing the other five. That's just laziness. So, rest, relaxation, at times, not really doing anything, that's okay. But if that becomes the pattern of your life and your daily activities, that's when it borders into laziness. So that's the slothful person. Now on to the diligent person. Of course, the the diligent person is the polar opposite of the slothful. They are hardworking and self-motivated. And in contrast to the image of the sloth is that of the ant. Ants are incredible workers. I mean, just think about it. When was the last time you saw an ant just chilling somewhere, taking a break, you know, laying down, uh, not moving, just sitting around? I mean, you never see it. They're always rapidly moving around. You can knock down an anthill, and immediately they start rebuilding it. Ants are also some of the strongest creatures on the planet. They're able to carry objects 100 times their own body weight. So that would be like a 200-pound man 
being able to carry something that weighs 20,000 pounds. I don't know what your bench press is up to, but I doubt it's at 20,000. So although ants are small, their strength is incredible relative to their size. And Proverbs instructs us to look at the ants and learn something from them. Proverbs 6 verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. So watch the ants, look at them for a while, think about the way that they operate, and you might learn something. Verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. And so this brings us to a couple of the first characteristics of diligent people. Number one, diligent people don't need oversight. Just like the ants, hardworking people need no chief, officer, or ruler to get their work done. Diligent people are self-motivated. They work hard regardless of whether the boss is around or not. They don't need oversight to do their job well. And then number two, we also learn from these verses that diligent people plan ahead. You see that in verse 8 where it says, The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers in harvest. Here's another proverb with the same idea. Chapter 10, verse 3 and following says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Slothful people are not good with foresight. Uh, They're often caught off guard by everything that goes wrong in their life. Part of diligence is planning, is thinking long term, doing things now that will reward later. That's sowing the seed at the right time of the year so the harvest is there. Gathering food and harvest because you know the winter is coming. The lazy person sleeps when they should be working and doesn't consider the suffering that awaits them for this choice. Proverbs 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Notice the first part of that verse there, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Plan and budget Financially, Don't make rash decisions, especially when it comes to money. Again, it says they're the one who's hasty. That leads to poverty. Diligent people plan, and their plans lead shortly to abundance, meaning hard work, diligence, combined with proper planning and budgeting and foresight, is a certain way to have your needs met. Number three. Diligent people take action to fix their financial situation. We said before that slothful people are dissatisfied with their poverty. They complain about not having enough. They crave more and they get nothing because their hands refuse to labor. The diligent person is likewise dissatisfied with not having his needs met. The difference is he does something about it. He goes to work. Chapter 16, verse 26, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. So they have cravings, they have needs, and those needs, the bills you got to pay at the end of the month, that gets you out of bed and gets you to go to work. Number four, diligent people get out of bed when it's time to go to work. Again, this is one of those that you might think is kind of silly to even mention, but it is something that comes up a lot in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 20, verse 13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. I'll let you in on a little secret. Want to know the last time that I wanted to call off work and not go in? Every single day last week. Okay, when my alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning, because i got to be at work at 6, and i got to have coffee on the way, or else I will crash in the middle of the day. Uh, So 5.30 in the morning, my alarm goes off, and I never feel like getting out of bed. There's not been a day in my life that I've wanted to be awake at 5.30 in the morning. Now, maybe some of you are morning people. Uh, I'm not. I hate morning. Some of you, maybe you you bounce right out of bed, and you're just full of energy, ready to go. Uh, I am not like that. I love that our services here start at 11 o'clock. I think that's wonderful. Uh, There's a church down the road that their their services start at 8.30, and I don't know how they get anybody uh, to show up on a Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning. 
Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, every morning when my alarm clock goes off and it's time to get up and go to work, I don't feel like it. And unless, again, you're one of those morning people who just jumps out of bed full of energy, you're probably a lot like me. Most of us would just rather not have to get out of bed early in the morning and go to work. And in that moment, you have a decision to make. You can sleep in, you can call off work and get into that habit, or you can be diligent and have your needs met. See, it's not complicated, it's just hard. Having plenty of bread isn't the result of luck in most cases. It's the result of not loving sleep, opening your eyes when it's time to get up and go to work, making yourself do it even though you absolutely would rather just stay in bed. Number five, diligent people seek to improve their skill set and do excellent work. So here we're not talking just about getting a job, going to work, but also how are you doing at that job? Proverbs 22, verse 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. Acquire as many skills as you can as early in life as you can. Now, there's all sorts of different skills that you can acquire, uh, electrical, plumbing, computers, coding, design, website building, uh, maybe working on cars, even things like linguistic skills, good grammar and punctuation, speaking abilities, customer service. Just try to learn as much as you can and gain valuable skills. Those skills will help you in your personal life and in whatever job you end up with. And whatever job you have, seek to be uh, always improving, always getting better and better at your job. Be the best worker at your place of employment. Diligent people seek to improve their skill set and do excellent work. Number six, again, in contrast to the slothful person, diligent people are dependable. Proverbs 25, verse 13 like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. We saw in the previous portrait of a slothful person that they are unreliable and that depending on them is like smoke in your eyes or vinegar in your teeth. It's irritating uh, because you know that you're going to have to follow up. You're going to have to make sure that they get the job done. Diligent people, on the other hand, are said to be refreshing to their employers. You give them a task to do, and you don't have to think about it again because you know that they're going to take care of it and get it done. And so this proverb is urging us to be dependable in our work. As my dad used to say to us all the time growing up, the greatest ability is dependability. Number seven, diligent people maintain their property and possessions well. Proverbs 27 verse 18, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Uh, dropping down to verse 23, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field." So unlike the slothful person whose personal life is falling apart, their homes are in disarray, the diligent person manages his household and possessions well. He keeps things well-maintained and cared for. So those are the portraits of slothful and diligent people. And maybe as we've walked through these verses, you've realized that either you are slothful or at least in some areas of your life, you are slothful. And in a way... I think all of us probably have that tendency. We all have an inner sloth that urges us to sleep in, to relax, to waste time doing whatever hobby we might enjoy instead of doing the hard thing of working even when we don't feel like it. And when it comes to work, Proverbs is just very practical, at times very hard-hitting. Going to work day after day fights against your inner sloth who seeks to make you useless in life. If for no other reason, here's a good benefit of working a job, even if you don't need to. Uh, remember at the start, we saw in Genesis that work is good for us. It's part of the good world as God created it. He intended for us to produce and to work. 
Because going to work every day fights against your inner sloth who seeks to make you useless or unproductive in your life. Proverbs encourages us to be consistent and to work, even if it's mundane, even if it's boring, even if it's hard, even if you don't feel fulfilled in your job or career. Now, here's a great quote from Kevin DeYoung's little book back there on the table, uh, Just Do Something. He writes this, It would be a good exercise to ask your grandparents sometimes if they felt fulfilled in their careers. They'll probably look at you as if you're speaking a different language, because you are. Fulfillment was not their goal. Food was, and faithfulness too. Most older folks would probably say something like, I never thought about fulfillment. I had a job, I ate, I lived, I raised my family, I went to church, I was thankful. In other words, most of us will probably need to learn to be content with a boring job that isn't overly enjoyable, but it's good, it's honest work, and it pays the bills. And Proverbs says that there is honor in that type of life. Very few people have the blessing of doing work that they love and they enjoy all the time and also being responsible in paying their bills and being able to give generously. Most people don't really love their job, and maybe that's okay. Proverbs instructs us to follow proven patterns for earning income. Here's another uh, category in the the area of work and diligence. In other words, uh, don't try to come up with some clever way to make money and dedicate all of your time to that. Rather, stick to the proven, boring way that the vast majority of people earn income. In biblical times, this was through agriculture primarily. In today's economy, it would be mostly through just a full-time job. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So working your land as a farmer, it was hard. It was long hours. It was boring work. It was dirty work. But if you do it, Proverbs says you'll have your needs met. Following worthless pursuits is what fools do, people who lack sense. Uh, Here's a similar proverb, chapter 28, verse 19 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So do the kind of work that actually makes you money and provides for you, not worthless pursuits that might be more fun, might be more enjoyable, but they don't pay the bills. When I was in high school, <clears throat> I bought a few ties on eBay. Uh, it was one of those accounts in China that used to sell them for like a dollar or two, and you could get a brand new tie. And so uh, the customer service was terrible. It would take two months to get to you, uh, but it was cheap, so I bought them. Uh, they arrived about a month or two later, and I liked most of them, but one of them just didn't really match the suit that I was thinking it would go with, so I decided I wasn't going to keep it. Uh, it only cost me a dollar or two, so I didn't really care too much. But I figured I'd put it back in the package and try to sell it on eBay as an auction just to see if I could recoup uh, the money that I had spent on it. The thing was brand new, still in the original packaging. I thought somebody else uh, could use it. Well, within a couple of hours of my putting up the listing, I started getting offers for more than I had paid for it. And I ended up selling it for something like five bucks when I had only bought it for a dollar or two. And of course, this got me thinking. Uh, So I bought $50 worth of ties, something like 25 or 30 ties. This is when I was uh, in high school. Uh, All different designs. And after a month or two, when they arrived, I listed them on my eBay account for a markup. And thus, my tie business was born. I used whatever money I made from the sales to purchase more ties. And eventually, I had literally thousands of ties In plastic totes, they were all organized with SKU numbers for quick identification and shipping. And by the time I was in college, I was selling around 200 neckties a month on eBay, making uh, over $1,000 in profit each month. And I had it pretty well set up. The listings would automatically relist if they didn't sell. eBay actually supplied all of my shipping materials for free uh, because of the volume of sales that I was doing each year. And the whole thing took me maybe 20 minutes a day. Uh, to keep it running and to get the orders shipped out. And so from my dorm room in college, I was supplementing my income quite nicely from something as silly as selling ties on eBay. And I kept it up uh, for several years after. 
I thought for a while that maybe someday this could be my job. Up to this point, I was working a job, and this was just sort of a side hobby I did uh, in my free time. But it was making quite a bit of money. And so I thought, well, maybe if I scale this thing a little bit, uh, I could just quit my job, sit at home, do a little bit of work to keep the orders moving, and earn my income with hardly any work. Well, then a thing called Amazon happened. And eBay pretty much became eclipsed by Amazon as it grew and took over the market for online sales. I went from selling 200 ties a month to maybe 20. And I tried to get a store going on Amazon, it just didn't work for various reasons. Uh, it's set up very differently than eBay. And so I ended up deactivating my eBay store a couple of years ago and gave up on that pursuit. Now, maybe your hobby is different. Maybe your little side business or whatever thing you do to earn some extra money will someday actually be enough to be a job that supplies your living. But for most people, it's not going to work out like that. Most of us will earn our living by working a normal, boring job. Every week, five or six days a week, going to work. Getting up early, working long hours, collecting your paycheck at the end of the week, that is how the vast majority of people are able to pay their bills and provide their living. So, it might be time for a reality check. And this is one of the points that Proverbs makes. If you're thinking you've got some other means of earning income, ask yourself, is it really working out? And maybe be willing to let go of it if it isn't. Wisdom instructs us to follow proven ways of earning income rather than worthless pursuits. Along similar lines, Proverbs warns against thinking you're going to acquire wealth quickly, trying to find a shortcut. Proverbs 28, verse 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Don't try to get rich quickly. Go to work tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Sometimes work is boring, again, but it pays the bills. So get up and go to work. Proverbs 13, verse 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. What a great principle. Uh, one paycheck at a time is better and a more reliable way to build wealth than trying some risky method of gaining a lot of money very quickly. And there's something good and healthy about this method of slow and incremental increase that comes from working hard over the course of decades. Proverbs 20, verse 21 says, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. In other words, it's not good for you to gain a large sum of money quickly. There's a lot of character development that takes place as you learn the value of delayed gratification, working for years to eventually get to a better uh, living situation and more financial freedom. And this leads to the results of diligent work. Now, these have been alluded to many times in the verses we've looked at, but what are some of the benefits to being diligent, to going to work every day, to working hard, to being the kind of diligent worker that Proverbs encourages us to be? Well, the first is obvious, and that is having enough income to pay for the things you need. This isn't something that just happens sometimes. Proverbs presents it as a certain outcome. Consider Proverbs 10, verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And pretty much all of these proverbs that we've looked at this morning drives home this one really hard truth, that poverty is usually your own fault. Diligent work combined with planning and foresight, leads to wealth and abundance. Laziness almost always leads to poverty. Now, of course, there are some situations in which it's not that simple. There are exceptions where a lazy person gets an inheritance or something and ends up being rich. Uh, there are some instances where a hardworking person, for various reasons, uh, may not have that end result. But Proverbs is giving us a general principle that hardworking people usually experience success in many areas of their life, including finances, whereas lazy people who pursue a life of ease end up struggling financially and they look for handouts from others. 
As we read through those Proverbs, it's repeated enough times I didn't really even comment on it because it's just obvious. It's right there in those texts. This is a benefit of working diligently, again, over the course of decades. How would you like to have enough income to pay for all of your needs and even some of your wants? How would you like to make enough to be able to give generously to your church, to people you know, to those who are in need, to causes and charitable efforts that you believe in, maybe to mission work around the world? How would you like to have enough so that when unforeseen circumstances come into your life and things go wrong, you're able to recover without a lot of stress and anxiety about it because you had money saved up and you had margin, so there's a little extra each month. While Proverbs is saying it's really not complicated, there's no magic to it. You get a job, you work hard, you do this for many years, you plan, you save, and over time, if you work hard, if you develop your skills, so you're not just showing up to your job, but you're really uh, putting out your best effort, being a valuable employee, working diligently, if you're that kind of worker, your needs will be met, and you will have some left over even to give and invest in various things. Instead of craving and suffering financially, always wondering how you're going to pay those bills at the end of the month, how you're ever going to get rid of all that debt you've acquired, instead of just desiring for your financial situation to improve, being discontent, Proverbs says very practically, and again, very hard-hitting, go make it happen. Take action. Because nine times out of ten, It's not the system that's against you or because you have bad luck. Most of the time, it's because that inner sloth that we all have has taken over your life. Going to work day after day, working diligently, fights against that sloth and leads to prosperity. Now, again, I feel like I have to keep uh, qualifying this so nobody gets the wrong idea. Of course, there are exceptions. Some people have very difficult health situations where working a job is really not feasible for you. Some may be past the age of being able to work day after day. They can't keep up that uh, pace anymore. But for an able-bodied adult, having your needs met isn't a mystery. It's the result of just plain old hard work. Diligence also leads to promotion. Proverbs 12, verse 24, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So this proverb is saying that someone who works hard, who works diligently, will end up moving up in society. They'll be given more responsibility and more authority. Whereas a slothful person will have to work jobs that nobody else wants. A similar point is is mentioned in a verse we mentioned already, Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings He will not stand before obscure men. Here's the real reason, though, as a Christian, that we should seek to fight slothfulness in our life. Even if you don't care about being poor, let's just say for argument's sake, you're okay with that. Uh, You really can't breathe financially. You can't give generously. But let's just say none of that matters to you. The simple fact is that you as a follower of Christ cannot please God and be lazy. Proverbs 15, verse 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Now, the point of this proverb is that lazy people end up suffering. They have hardships in life that are the result of their own uh, inactivity. It's, It's suffering that they don't even really need to have, whereas diligent workers in many ways have it easier. They experience more blessing and freedom as a reward for their work. But that's not really my point here. Notice the words that are used in this verse. Obviously, this is a contrasting proverb. There are opposites here. And it says, The way of the sluggard is contrasted to the path of the upright, meaning you cannot be upright and lazy. Those are opposites, according to Scripture. Part of what it means to be righteous in God's sight, then, is to work hard. If you don't believe me, look at chapter 10, verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So righteous people, according to those two verses, are diligent. Lazy people, those with a slack hand, are here called wicked. 
We don't often think of this as a moral issue, this issue of laziness and diligence, but it is. Righteous equals hardworking. At least that's part of it. There's more to it than that, obviously. But you cannot be right with God and be lazy. This is an area that modern American culture stands diametrically opposed to Christian teaching. Now, here's the very simple, straightforward teaching of the Bible. If you are able-bodied and an adult, you should be working. It doesn't necessarily mean working a nine-to-five job. Uh, There are some other avenues of work that are legitimate work in Scripture. For example, uh, pastoral ministry is a job. Nothing wrong with pastors who are uh, supported full-time by the church as long as They're actually working hard uh, at that task. Raising kids is a job. Uh, Scripture is very much in favor of dad going out and providing while mom stays home and raises the kids. Those are responsibilities that are legitimate work, and they're honorable callings. But an able-bodied adult sitting around at home, mooching off of the government or off of their family or whatever, just isn't a biblical concept. This should not be the lifestyle of Christians. And it it reveals a view of life itself that is fundamentally flawed. That my life is all about enjoyment and pleasure and what I want to do instead of producing and accomplishing something with my time on earth. I don't feel like working isn't a good reason not to. Government entitlement programs, in many cases, are simply unbiblical. Christians should not be uh, using those types of programs, except in obvious situations, like we said, uh, physical impairment. The Bible teaches that if you aren't, uh, that you are not entitled to anything that someone else has. Paul writes in Second Thessalonians chapter three: For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Let that one sink in for a minute. I'll talk about a hard statement. Verse 11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. They wouldn't get a job, they wouldn't go to work, rather they're idle, not really doing anything productive. Here's what Paul says to them, verse 12, Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. You should provide for yourself as an adult. You are responsible for your needs being met. This is what the Bible calls us to be, responsible, diligent workers. And it is a shameful thing as a Christian to be idle, to be dependent on others if you're an able-bodied adult. Fight that inner sloth and go to work. One last reason that we work, for the good of others. Proverbs 18, verse 9, whoever is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Uh, Those who are lazy, again, that's that idea of slack or having a slack hand, they harm themselves and others. Laziness is detrimental to society. Work isn't all about you. This is revolutionary in Proverbs You don't just work to pay your bills. Most of us, that's all we think about. It's just, I work a job because I have to pay my bills. Well, that's okay. That's a good starting point. But Proverbs says we should also work for the good of the community in which we live. And here we get into a thing called economics. And if you understand anything about economics, then you know the more people are working, the better the economy as a whole is for everyone. That's why the rate of unemployment is such an important thing in the area of politics. You're going to hear a lot about this next year uh, leading up to the election. Everybody's going to be talking about employment rates. Uh, Politicians know that if enough people stop working, the stock market crashes, GDP decreases, tax revenue decreases, entitlement programs increase. And somebody has to pay for all of that. Uh, We saw this back in 2020. We're still seeing the results of those actions today. And here I'm not even commenting on whether the COVID lockdowns were a good idea or not. That's irrelevant to my point. If you've noticed, in the last few years, the price of gas, the price of food, the price of pretty much everything increasing, that's largely because the government spent a lot of money during the COVID lockdowns because people were not allowed to go to work. And that has a huge effect on the economy as a whole that we're still dealing with the the, the results of that. Because people weren't working, they weren't producing income. 
And so the government was supplementing their income. And again, somebody has to pay for all of that. And you and I are paying for it every time we purchase anything at those inflated costs. Did you know that in this country, over half of the money that is paid in taxes goes towards entitlement programs? And entitlement programs, by the way, fancy term for people not working. That's what it refers to. It's welfare, it's food stamps, it's Social Security. Some of it is for good reason. Those with disabilities or elderly folks who are physically unable to continue working but a lot of it is just people who don't want to go to work. They would rather sit at home, collect a check from the government. Proverbs says Christians shouldn't do that. We should be those who work and are responsible for providing our own living. And we do this not only for ourselves, but for the good of the community around us. And here's a question to consider on this. What if everyone did what you do? Think about the roads that you drive on every day for free. Somebody paid for all of that. Somebody paid for the roads to be built. Somebody paid for them to be maintained. Taxpayers do. Well, what if everybody did what you do? How would our country be? How would Gary, Indiana be? What kind of shape would this area be in if everybody worked as much as you have in your life? If everybody was contributing in the way that you are? Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Uh, wait a second, I thought we were supposed to toil for money. Isn't that the whole point? Uh, well, yes and no. There's more to it than just that. We as Christians ought to work, number one, because it's good for us. Again, God designed us to work. It's part of the world as God made it, and we ought to uh, fulfill the duty that God has given us to work and be productive. Uh, secondly, we ought to work for ourselves, to provide for our own expenses, to not be a burden on others. Uh, thirdly, we ought to work in order to give generously. We're going to have another sermon dedicated to financial management in Proverbs, uh, where we're going to talk about that more because Proverbs has a lot to say on that subject. But we also should work and earn income for the good of the community. And again, this automatically excludes certain kinds of work. We've talked about this before. Uh, Christians ought to be involved in work that provides a positive good to society. <clears throat> That doesn't mean necessarily you have to be a doctor or something like that, but some sort of good or service that really benefits others, something productive rather than destructive. And so work, yes, is about making money, but it's about a lot more than just that. Uh, you can make a lot of money as a drug dealer, okay, but that's obviously not providing something beneficial to the community, rather that's con contributing to destruction. Now that's an extreme example, of course, but you get the point. Christians should consider the community when choosing a job. Find something that is beneficial to society. Again, doesn't mean it has to be spiritual or something. Uh, working at Subway is providing a positive good to society. I'm very glad, and I hope you are too, for people who work in uh, grocery stores, restaurants, all those types of industries, uh, making food accessible for all of us. That's just one of many examples of meaningful work that Christians can and should do. All right, we're almost done today. One more thing to consider, and that is the issue of retirement. In light of all that we've seen in Proverbs about diligent work, how does retirement factor into this? And here I think the issue comes down to motivation. The American view of retirement is really nothing more than socially accepted laziness. Now, it depends on the situation, but certainly in many cases that's exactly what it is. People today want to retire as young as possible so they can relax and basically do nothing productive for the last few years or even decades of their life. And in many such cases, they are able-bodied and could continue to work. As Christians, we shouldn't be looking to retire and do nothing for years of our life. That is wasting our life. We are repeatedly told in Scripture to be productive, to redeem the time that God has given us in this life. To work, for the night is coming when you cannot work anymore. And we're told, perhaps most importantly, that we will all stand before God one day and give an account of what we did with our lives on earth. We will be rewarded <clears throat> based on what we did. I don't think you're going to want to explain to your creator 
how you spent the last 15 years of your life not really doing anything, just taking a decade or two vacation because that's the American way. Scripturally, there are only two reasons to not work a job and earn income. And again, this is really building off of everything that we've seen so far. Two reasons not to work a job that earns income. Number one, if you are physically unable to continue working, obviously we understand that. Okay, if you're not able to perform a job well due to physical weakness or bad health, you shouldn't be a burden on your employer. Uh, you should retire. So that is one legitimate reason, of course, for retirement. Physical impairment. You're no longer able to work a job. Second reason would be, if you have enough saved up to retire without being a burden on other people or on the government, so that you can retire and take care of yourself financially. Again, that is still an obligation that we all have, is to provide our own living. But if you've planned well for years, you have money saved up, you can retire and live off of that. But if you do that, you should have something meaningful and productive that you're going to do with the rest of your life. In other words, if you're not going to work a job and contribute to society and to the church and in every area of your life in that way, by earning income and contributing, then you ought to be doing something else that is meaningful and productive with your time. For example, perhaps helping to raise a grandchild. I've seen many situations like that where parents have a child and uh, both parents are kind of forced to work. And so a grandparent, I've even seen them quit their job in order to help raise a grandchild and invest in them. That is, of course, a great, uh, a great uh, reason for retiring. Uh, maybe another thing would be spending time in a charitable work, some sort of effort or cause that, yeah, it may not provide any money for you, but it's something meaningful and productive that you can do with your time. So there are good reasons for retirement. But if you're able-bodied and the real reason you want to retire is simply so you can sit around and waste the last few years or decades of your life, that's really just slothfulness. And so when it comes to an issue like retirement, I would encourage you, forget what the American culture around us says. Ask instead, what does the Bible say? Read 2 Thessalonians 3. Read Proverbs and consider all of the verses there about laziness and diligence. And then ask yourself, why am I wanting to retire? Is it because I want my time freed up in order to engage in kingdom work and do something uh, productive? Is it because I want to invest in grandkids or something meaningful like that? Those would be, again, good reasons to retire. Or perhaps you're just at a point where you're unable to physically work and contribute much uh, to the workforce. Of course, nothing wrong with that. We all understand we're going to hit that uh, point at some point. But still, no matter what, all of us ought to be productive in some ways while we still have strength. So ask yourself, could I work a job of some kind? And the answer may legitimately be no. You may not, again, physically be able to. But if you are able to, ask yourself why you aren't. And I'll leave you to evaluate your own heart, your own life circumstances, figure out if your reasoning is for good reasons that glorify God or lazy reasons that are the results of that inner sloth. I can't tell you that answer. I don't know your life and your circumstances. But if you're seeking to be wise, I think you can figure this out with a little bit of honest reflection. Well, I said at the beginning that there's a real temptation for me this morning to skip this topic. Uh, This sermon is not going to earn me uh, any popularity points. Uh, Here's why I preached it anyway. You might think I'm just being mean for the sake of it. Uh, But honestly, before God, this is my motivation. Scripture tells us that we will all stand before God and receive the reward for the things that we did with our time on earth. And one of the things that I keep in front of me as your pastor constantly is that I want Judgment Day to be a good day for you. I want you to be rich in the eternal kingdom of God. I want you to have no regrets about wasted years of your life. Most of you won't do work for the kingdom by way of preaching or pastoring. That's not not what God's called most of you to do. Your contribution will be raising kids or working a job to help finance the work of God, volunteering your time to serve others and use the gifts that God has given you. And my plea to each one of you is to make the most of the time that you have left. Life is a vapor. Don't waste it. Rest is good in moderation. Rest all day, every day is laziness. 
It's literally throwing away your life. Don't waste too much time because time is the stuff that life is made of. You waste too much time and you'll find out in the end you wasted your life. And so I beg you, do not waste your life away. Do something. Something you'll be proud of when you stand before Christ and he asks you what you did with the years that he gave you, how you contributed to the work of the kingdom. Whether you're young and you have decades of life left, or whether your time may be just a few more years on earth, make the most of each and every day. Evaluate what you can do to serve your king. You can have all the right motives, you can have all the right doctrinal beliefs, but if you waste your life, judgment day will not go well for you, and you will be filled with regret for how you lived, because we are only rewarded for what we actually do.